This week we've been interviewing some of the Defense Department's Acquisition Workforce Award winners. Today we present someone with a title I'm only going to say once. She's the Finance Manager for the Joint Program Executive Office for Chemical, Biological, Radiological, and Nuclear Defense Joint Assisted Acquisition Team. This is in the Army. Katie Single joins me now. Ms. Single, good to have you with us. Thank you. It's good to be with you. That's a really long title, so tell us about the organization itself and what you do there. I'm going to shorten our title. We usually just call ourselves JPEO for short. And what we do is we provided all the gas masks to our um, war fighters. That's one of the things that we do. We um, develop vaccines when you're exposed to biological agents. I think you probably remember back in the earlier days, anthrax. And then we do a lot of the detection kits for chemical, biological, um, even radiological and nuclear exposure to determine, you know, how much you've been exposed to those type of things. So there's a research component, there's an acquisition component to it, and you are the finance manager. And what is your specific role in this whole complex of things? I like to tell everybody I'm the one that signs all the checks. So for the COVID mission that came through us, I am the person who accepted all the funding and then in turn sent it all over to the contracts, pay of people. I ensured all the vendors were paid on time. Yeah, let's talk about that project because that's the one that actually netted you this award and it was COVID related. Tell us what the scope was and what happened there. So the scope of the joint acquisition team, we call that JA2 for short. So that was stood up back in early 2020. JPEO received the mission based on our records with handling all the different biological and chemical things that have come through. And then our leadership, they went out to everywhere. They went out to private industry, public industry, DOD, outside DOD. Um, and they were just searching for the best and brightest talents to make this new organization a, a success. And what we did was we brought all these experts together and we accelerated the development, manufacturing, and distribution of the safe and effective COVID-19 tests, diagnostics, vaccines, enablers, and therapeutics for the nation. So this was really a lot more than just buying protective gear for people in the Army and civilians. Correct, correct. This was, and most of our stuff was coming directly from the president or the White House COVID response team. They would tell us we're going to buy one billion test kits, and it was up to us to figure out how to do it, who could do it, how much, and get all of that executed. And then those tests made it out to every American could have gotten a test. So that's one big thing that we did as well. And we're talking about those test kits that come in the little flat cardboard boxes, those kinds of things that the USPS ended up delivering. Yes. Well, getting into that project must have felt a little bit like grabbing onto the car of a roller coaster on the way down a hill. That's a great way to describe it. There was a lot of long days, nights, weekends, one late December, right before um, Christmas Eve. I think it was the day before Christmas Eve was a Friday. At about seven o'clock, I received a call from Someone in the White House had said, hey, you need to award this contract. We're getting you the money. It needs to be signed and out the door. I'm going, today? Who's working on Christmas Eve? It's 7 o'clock. But that was, that was quite often that we got those type of quick turnarounds. And what did you discover about the industrial base? Because we all got those kits, and there's a lot of little elements in there, everything from a Q-tip type of thing 
a little plastic molded parts, the strip itself, a little chemical vial. I mean, there's probably 25 or 30 individual parts that go into those kits. Was this all sourceable in some reasonable manner in the United States? You watched that challenge as it happened. And then so as they struggled through that, then you had to watch the money. Right. I had to make sure the money came in and went to the vendors, the vendors invoice correctly, and we get it back out. You did talk about the industrial base. I can talk about that for some of our other efforts. You know, when this all started, a lot of the industrial base was overseas. We weren't able to get some of the critical supplies that we needed. And so part of this COVID mission is also to bring some of that industrial base back to the U.S. So we funded some companies to help start them to bring it back here with some of their costs. We're speaking with Katie Single. She's a Defense Department Acquisition Workforce Award winner for the Army's PEO for the Seaburn team. I hope I said that right, (laughs) contracting that a little bit. And let's talk about the lessons learned. I mean, how did it change the organization having been through really trial by fire, you could call it? It changed the organization. We were able to really look at the audibility of um, especially funding and um, coming in and out. We were able to shorten some of the red tape that we had to do. Sure. So, in other words, the speed forced the issue of trying to get things done in an auditable way, in a way that you could justify later, but yet a whole lot faster. Correct. And also some of the stuff that we learned through this is being used in the Ukraine area, being able to do these large contracts quickly and get the stuff out to our people that need it. And the work that you do as financial manager, that must end up being looked at maybe by the Defense Contract Management Agency. I mean, there's a lot of oversight to military spending. There's even the Inspector General. There's the GAO. Have they found you to be pretty clear and clean on all of this? We've had a few audits that's come through already. We've passed those at 100 percent. I think one of them was 240 samples of actions, and they all passed with flying colors. And tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you come to be a financial manager and end up in this really important mission? What got you here? I started my career about 16, 17 years ago now as a budget intern for the Army Research Lab. And I worked there for close to a decade. And then I left there, moved over here to JPEO. Um, I ran some of the Army programs here, labor I actually left budget for about two years and went over to the manpower side, learning that and how budget and manpower go together. And then when COVID hit, I said, my calling's back at budget. So I applied for this position and got it. And that's kind of how history was made. And do all your neighbors come to you to help balance their checkbooks if people still do that anymore? (laughs) It's funny you say that. Yes. Yes. All of my family, I, I do all of their finances for them. It's a little different, though, because usually I'm going, ah, it's only a couple hundred million. And they're like, Katie, it's a couple dollars. Right. (laughs) You know, same difference. And Army is a pretty good employer from your standpoint. Yes, the Army has been a great employer. They've made all my work dreams come true. Katie Single is a Defense Department Acquisition Workforce Award winner for the Army's PEOC Burn Acquisition Team. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. 
And we'll post this interview along with a link to more about the Army awardees at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics. I uh, One of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from, from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of, of people with intellectual disabilities and, and, and physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I, I knew that I knew that work a bit, you know, they, ba- they basically were in d- direct care. And, and I will say, and on a, obviously we'll say about my, my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints, uh, but uh, the, the men and women that do take care of people with uh, pr- profound disabilities are, are really, um, you know, we, we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they're they're really heroes, and um, so I was I was drawn when I I and I just saw that you know Special Olympics was looking for someone, and I thought well you know I'll take a look at it and see, see you know throw uh, send in my information, and lo and behold I I, I get hired, and um, I learn uh, every day almost something from especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington D.C. and you know, uh, Terrell, who who works in in our mailroom, who comes by with packages and deliveries. Uh, if you're having a day that's you know getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by, always happy, always enthused, uh, has a has a good story. Like it can just turn a day around for you. And 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 you think of I I you know so often when he'll walk away, I'll be like you know whatever was bothering me or whatever is you know stressing me out. And come on, you know, like look at look at Terrell. Like he 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 faces everything with optimism, and 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 I've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the United States and globally. You see people who have had everything stacked against them. You know, their parents when they were born were often told this is a tragedy, and you should you should you know send your this child away. Don't don't you know and, and kind of forget about them. Get, turn them over to the state or or wherever. And and you know that you know just kind of wash, wash your hands of it. Um, and 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 in in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and but they've still faced enormous challenges. You know and but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming, and uh, and and you know, besting their times from, from their last competition. And they're so committed and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs. And, and, and I've seen so much perseverance and grit 
uh, from a the athletes of Special Olympics that uh, I, I Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more. Uh, we get more than we give uh, working with Special Olympics. It, you know, we and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do. But but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I. I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That that you know, it's a, and it's so unique and it's so uh, joyful and and uh, I mean, we work hard and you know, we we're up against you know the things that nonprofits are up against and you know the you know the issues of the day. But uh, man, you see, it, it, and 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 the inclusion and the at Special Olympics, no one's excluded. You know, no, right. no one's excluded. Yeah. Everyone is equal at Special Olympics. It, and, you know, in a country that's quite divided on so many lines, politically and uh, socially, uh, economically, race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot. But you go to Special Olympics and everyone's involved. Everyone's welcome. Everyone's equal. And I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics in experience the power of Special Olympics for themselves, I, I, I can't imagine that one help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get, how can listeners get involved in Special Olympics? Ways to get involved? Uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials, uh, and, and the thing that, that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I'd mentioned earlier, um, where people, and, and it doesn't have to be, uh, it's not just school age, it's, it's uh, you know, we say nine to 99 or uh, year old uh, folks uh, that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together. Uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think, when you when you go back to the founding uh, of our organization, what Mrs. Tri Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to, to uh, create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences and that our athletes, man, are some of the grittiest people that you will meet. And, and, uh, and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is, is how you'll learn it. Check us out at, you know, uh, specialolympics.org on, on our website. Uh, it, that will link you to your local program. You can follow through the, the clicks of how to get involved and where what's closest to you. You'll enjoy it. I can promise you that. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll, uh, Talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.